Well, hello, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Proverbs 31 Ministries podcast, where we share biblical truth for any girl in any season. I'm your host, Meredith Brock, and I am here with my co-host, Kaylee Olson. Well, hey, Meredith. I am pumped for our listeners to hear today's teaching from a special guest teacher, Pastor Rob Singleton from the Summit Church in Colorado. He's also the author of a newly released book titled Overliked, Finding Direction, Courage, and Meaningful Relationships in a Society Crippled by Social Media. And man, I know it's a message we all need to hear. And today, he's actually going to talk about just that. How do we engage with social media in a way that keeps our heart healthy? Because it's such a struggle that I know we all face, and it's going to be a great teaching. But before we let you listen to that teaching, we wanted to be sure you guys knew all about our annual conference called She Speaks. It's truly our favorite part of the year here at Proverbs 31 because it's an opportunity to connect with and train like-minded women who are called to speak, write, or lead. This year, you'll hear from our president, Lisa Turkhurst, as well as other leaders in the industry like Joe Saxton, Paula Ferris, Nikki Koziars, Crystal evans Hurst. I mean, the list goes on and on. And it's all happening online from June 24th to the 26th this year. So we can't wait for you to join us from wherever you might be. So go register today at shespeaksconference.com. All right, folks, here is our conversation with Pastor Rob Singleton. Well, we are so excited to be joined by Pastor Rob Singleton on today's show. Thank you so much for being here today, Pastor Rob. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, now, Pastor Rob, I hear that you just released a brand new book titled Over Liked, Finding Direction, Courage, and Meaningful Relationships in a Society Crippled by Social Media. And man, it is a message I think we all need to hear. But before we let you dive into your teaching, we want to get to know you a, a little bit better, right? Because we want our listeners to know yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, Meredith. Well, I mean, our listeners know that you and I, since we started this in 2018, have been relating what we listen to and what we learn from our teachers on the podcast to our season of life and, and our families or our, our jobs or maybe a, a family pet here and there. I don't know. So, uh, Pastor Rob, we want to give you the opportunity to tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe what season of life you're in, what your family is like, and maybe if you have a family pet too. So you have the floor. Well, the season of life is, uh, man, it's hard to adjust to because we're empty nesters and it's very, very recent. My daughter got uh, married about a year and a half ago and she's real young, um, but they're doing great. They, they live in San Diego. My son-in-law, Rudd, uh, daughter, Juliana, my son moved out of the country. He um, and is really just wow. on fire for the Lord, telling the world about uh, about Jesus, and and so here we are alone. We're my wife and I. We both work at the church. She's the director of ministries. Obviously, I'm the, I'm the lead pastor there, and uh, it's just an interesting time. So we did uh, adopt two puppies. We already had a dog. We've always had two or three dogs, and I've got my old graying chocolate lab that I love. He's the best Aww. dog I've ever had, but we just got two crazy wild-eyed uh, puppies. There's a Norfolk Terrier topping out at 10 pounds and a party Yorkie, which is just a Yorkie that has three different colors, white, black, and tan. So there's a lot of entertainment, but it's just a different <laughs> season of life. The kids yeah. are gone and the puppies are here. 
Yeah. Well, anytime you name an animal, <laughs> if it has the name party in its title, I'm, I'm here for it. I know. I know. <laughs> that, is, that is a great name. <laughs> well, I was thinking the opposite. I was thinking, well, anybody can just go to your house, and I'm sure that the UPS man is greeted well. I'm sure that somebody trying to break yes. in would be greeted well because party and guard dog don't go well together either. But that's enough talk about that. Pastor Rob, we're so excited for the teaching that you're going to give us today. So you can go ahead and take it away. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, you mentioned uh, earlier that I had written a book and and just a little bit of background on that. Uh, I did a series probably three or four years ago on the life of David, and I really found myself comparing him a lot to King Saul because they weren't just, you know, it wasn't just the first and second kings in the Bible, but they were just such polar opposites. And I'll get back to that in just a moment, because that's the story I follow in the book, or the story of King Saul, who's really a narcissist, and King David, who is a man after God's own heart. But getting back to where the book kind of fits in years ago, I was, you know, where you guys are at in Charlotte, North Carolina, I pastored a church that uh, grew pretty big and <clears throat> things were going really well. But you know, it felt like things were on cruise control as it grew large. And then, you know, just like with your own vehicle, it, you know, when it starts to get out of alignment, you don't really notice that at first. But when the steering wheel starts shimmying a little bit and it starts pulling to one side, um, you know that something's wrong. We were doing everything right. The church was about 15, 16, 17 years old. And, um, you know, our way of communicating the Great Commission, the Great Commandment was said like this. Uh, we exist to reach those that are far from God. That's evangelism, to raise them up in Christ. That's discipleship and release them for his mission. So reach, raise, release. And that was that was going great. We were definitely following and fulfilling the Great Commission, the Great Commandment. However, uh, I fell victim to something that has been on my heart and, is, and has been kind of at DEFCON 5 for me for years after this, I started seeing other churches move into town. Uh, and I'm, in, I'm, I'm always embarrassed to say this because it's not something I'm proud of, but I just started seeing better optics um, at other churches. Some were growing faster. You know, others were, were definitely cooler. Um, and I think about that and I just cringe. Could anything be less important <laughs> than how cool you are as a church? Um, but the hardest part was that some pastors that, you know, weren't even necessarily biblically centered or living godly and holy lives, but they seemed to be the most blessed of all. And, um, you know, I started looking at them at times more than I was even looking at God's word and just saying, well, what are they doing right that we're doing wrong? And, and you know, a lot of people were getting saved. A lot of lives were being changed. Great things were happening so I almost don't even know how I fell victim to this, where I cared more about how we looked and keeping up with the Joneses in the pastor world than I, than I did at times about fulfilling the Great Commission, the Great Commandments. So um, what I did notice as I looked around is that some of them were a lot better at presenting the right kind of optics. You know, how they looked and how they presented, uh, how they were marketed was just a lot better. In other words, they were playing the social game like I'd never seen it done before social media game. Um, and I was in awe, but, but at times it was, 
uh, it was not just in awe. It kind of changed to developing a sense of envy, you know, for what they had going. And, and at times it made me doubt myself, like, God, you just like them better. Are you using them better, uh, more effectively because their, their heart is better? I mean, I just started questioning everything. It was not a, it was not a great season for me in, in ministry. Um, and I think for a lot of people, this is where the lines can blur between ministry and, and marketing. If it leans too much toward marketing, you know, we can become more concerned about being liked than and helping people to love God and being loved by him. And it's kind of a it was kind of a miserable space um, to live in. So I, I left the church in North Carolina uh, but mutually, it was a, it was a mutual decision. It wasn't it wasn't the greatest parting, and, and that was a real hurtful time in my life. Uh, but I soon was ministering at other churches, and things were going really good again. But where all this came to a uh, to a head is my wife and kids came about two years into into Colorado. They came to me and my kids, especially. They it was kind of like an intervention. They sat me down and said, Dad you know, what's going on? You never laugh anymore. You're no fun to be around. And I still remember that, you know, it really hurt. And all of a sudden, this is when God started me on a journey um, to really, to really double check what I was doing. You know, I really wanted to get the word out about God. I really wanted to see people far from God reached. I really wanted to see them. I wanted to make disciples. I wanted to see them raised up. There's nothing I love more than teaching about Jesus and helping people grow in Christ. But I had to admit that it was almost a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. I would sometimes cross over to this other kind of person because I got jealous or envious or or myself. I wanted to be liked. Uh, I wanted to be noticed. And I know that's not an uncommon journey, but for a pastor, that's a really dangerous place to be. So, uh, I also want to say this too, that it's not unique at all to pastors. I think this is becoming a huge problem where uh, we have so many platforms now with Facebook and Instagram and on and on and on and ways to meet friends and connect with people. And all of that is great. And I'm not suggesting we go back down to back to Downton Abbey days or anything like that. Uh, but they can real subtly and sometimes quickly turn into little shrines that we set up. And, you know, instead of connecting with people and helping further the gospel and get the word out and leveraging technology, you know, we can start to say, how can I get more followers? How can I get more likes? And, and pretty soon it can turn into our own little worship shrine, or at least, at least that was a temptation for me. And, but I think no matter your age or gender or occupation or race, um, Satan is incredibly adept at luring us into this trap and social media just makes it happen bigger um, and faster. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, I wrote this book to kind of, be, you know, help people see that this isn't a ministry thing. It isn't a politics thing only. Uh, it's an everybody thing. You know, most of the world's on social media. And if we're not careful about how we use this incredibly valuable um and worthwhile tool or tools, I should say, plural, um, they can cross a line that's damaging. And so how do you recognize that? How do you know that this is this might be happening? 
you know, you start asking questions um, that are, they're not in and of themselves bad questions, but you know, it might be, do people like me? Um, if they do, why aren't they paying as much attention to me on my platforms or whatever, as they are this gal or this guy? And, uh, you know, why don't they comment more? Why, why don't I have as many likes? Why are my followers not uh, as high? And I mean, I think we can see this now more than ever with the um, with TikTok, because I mean, it's, it's funny because even Christians, will they're pretty blunt about it. This is why I do TikTok. This is what I want out of it. I want more followers. You know, uh, everybody leave comments and, uh, you know, whoever asked me to do the craziest thing, no matter what it is, I'll do it. And you just see all this almost nutty stuff that people are willing to do to get more followers and to get more likes and to get a bigger audience. Um, I mean, sometimes just short of trading their soul for it. Um, and yet some people can't see it as any more than harmless and, and just fun. Uh, so we're kind of using this faulty matrix. It's just a, when we do this, it's just a short hop, skip and a jump to, you know, from do people like me to does God even like me? You know, never mind that he's, he's already answered that with a resounding yes by giving his life on the cross in our place. And the most well-known verse in the Bible, John 3.16, you know, says, for God so loved the world. I like to put it this way. Uh, God loved the world so much that, that he did what? He gave. He gave extravagant, extravagantly. He gave his one and only son on a rescue mission. So there's really no, there's really no legitimate way to say, you know, I wonder if God even loves me or likes me. Um, he adores us. We are the crowning um, achievement of, of all creation created in his image. And yet when we get completely buried, I think, in social media for some of the wrong reasons, we can begin to question some of the most obvious things in the Bible. It's, it's not a secular problem only. It's a, it's a Christian problem, too, where uh, if our focus is on the wrong thing and we literally start questioning God and everything else, how can that be healthy? Well, I, I notice people keep going down that path and, and they'll, they'll start saying, you know, first of all, do people like me? Does God even like me? And then, you know, why isn't this working? And by this, I mean social media. You know, since they're, they've decided to make that subtle shift and get their answers or their value from likes and follows, if they're not getting that, the next question is, why isn't this working? Um, which is another form of saying, why don't I feel loved? Uh, but I think that's the wrong question. You know, a better one is, like I said, focusing on God's word and the facts that you are loved. Sometimes I don't feel loved, but According to God's word, I absolutely am loved, even when I don't feel like it. But when we're going to social media more than God's word, obviously, you know, the more time we spend uh, in God's word, the more, you know, comforted and at peace we're going to be that he loves us and that we can get to know him and get a closer relationship with him. But, you know, if you're spending two minutes with God in the morning and 10 hours on social media, I mean, social media is going to win, especially if your approach to it is unhealthy. So, um, you know, I just noticed a lot of people, even in my own church, and I've pastored uh, three, 
four different churches and planted churches, helped plant other churches. And this isn't unique, uh, you know, to the summit where I'm at now or to the church in North Carolina. I was finding it everywhere. In fact, it's getting worse where people are looking at the wrong things. And then when their feelings don't match, um, they just put more emphasis into feelings. They just try to help their feelings get there even more with all these wrong vehicles. Um, and then they end up feeling more disconnected than ever and more lonely and more shallow and more in, inauthentic and small. And, and um, let me just boil it down as simply as this. Scripture makes it really plain. We are who we hang out with. Proverbs 12, 26 says, the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. So I'm not talking about, or this proverb isn't talking about wicked friends uh, as much as the wickedness or the foolishness of spending most of our time and energy with godless people or with godless pursuits, like going after it, not in the way that's healthy or the way that God describes in his word that we ought to go after friendships and relationships. So, um, yeah, it, it just got to be such a big problem. I preached this series now back to that on the life of David and the life of King Saul. And the more we got into this, it was supposed to be, I think, a six week series three years ago. It turned into an 11 week series. Uh, it's one of the most popular series we ever did. It really helped people to see in a real clear way how to avoid this trap. Um, and then from there, the series kind of turned into an idea for this book so that I could help people. And um, the title came from, you know, I think, I think psychology or medically speaking, we would call this issue of being obsessed with being over, like we would call it narcissism, you know, just when everything's about you. And I would call, you know, a nicer way to say it is, you know, are, are you just overliked? Are you oversaturated in this world where um, your value and your self-worth comes from little thumbs ups or little smiley and fire and heart emojis and all that? If so, then you're overliked. Uh, you know, being liked has become a problem. It's crossed a line. And, you know, through this book, I'm able to use the word of God to show people that they're not, you know, they're not some outlier. They're not a freak. They are, um, they're falling into a trap that has just gotten much easier for, I think, Satan to pull off because of social media. Um, so people in the Bible, you know, felt this way as well. There's a ton of people in the Bible <clears throat> uh, that not just King Saul and King David, but really everybody, you know, even before social media, they fell for this. I do use King Saul and King David because they are polar opposites. King Saul, his verse in, in my book is Proverbs 3, 7, which says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And, and you know, I, I just picture Saul. He literally, you know, those there, there's these circles with a line through them. I, I don't even know what officially that's called. But, you know, if you don't want somebody's dog doing their thing on your yard, you might have a, a circle with a picture of a dog in it and a line drawn through it, which means no dogs allowed or forbidden or off limits. And it just feels like Saul was so, so off on this that I just picture him with that verse uh, in his office or in his throne room in a circle with a line drawn through it saying, you know, I'm not going to be 
Uh, I'm not going to follow the Lord. I am going to be wise in my own eyes. I'm not going to fear God. I'm not going to turn from evil. If it gets me popular and the people love me, I'm going to do exactly the opposite of what God says. And then you contrast him with King David, you know, in 1 Samuel 13, 14, and even again in the book of Acts, Acts 13, 22, he's just simply called a man after God's own heart. So David was a man after God's own heart, while Saul had a heart that was never after God. They're complete opposites. Um, and then I realized that the more that I studied this, this struggle in Scripture, you know, I was trying to find where it started. What's the issue? What gets this going? And, of course, you can go back to Satan and the fall and how he was the first worshiper ever. He's, you know, the most powerful being that God created. His job was to uh, elicit worship of God from the angels around the throne of God. And somewhere that went south pretty quickly, and Satan decided, I, want, I don't want to deflect worship to God. I want to receive it myself. And so the more I look at this, you know, people could say, well, it all starts with pride. But I think it all comes down to worship. I really do. I mean, Satan did not like the optics of God receiving all the worship. He, he thought, you know, I love worship. I want worship. Here's the problem. We were never created to carry the weight of worship. Worship is about worthiness. And the only one worthy of having, having you bow down and worship him is God. So if we even attempt to carry this, if we even attempt to, uh, even subtly, you know, by making our lives all about followers and, and likes and, and using social media wrongly, that's a, that's a form of self-worship. But if we even enter that arena and in the most small or subtle way try to get people to put us on the throne or worship us, that is, I think, the most dangerous trap we could possibly fall into. And like I said, it's not just King Saul. It's not just David. Uh, there's a whole lot of others. It's the woman at the well. Jesus went to, to meet her uh, in Samaria. They were a hated group of people. And yet uh, Jesus reaches out to this, this woman who had had five husbands. And, you know, naturally the woman, the women in uh, Samaria didn't like her because she was always on the take for, it sounds like every husband in town. And then, uh, but he meets her and, and knows that she's a hurting woman. And he knows this because she doesn't go to the well in the, uh, early morning when it's cool, but in the Middle East, she go, she's there around noon. It's probably 110 degrees. Uh, everybody is burning up and hot. She goes there alone, and it just doesn't make any sense that she would be there and carry um, you know, these heavy containers of water back to the village unless she was trying to be there when she intentionally knew people wouldn't be there because people didn't like her. Uh, so without getting into that, into too much detail there, Jesus gets in this conversation and she immediately has help, ha has hope rather, because uh, Jesus, who's a Jew, pays attention to her and helps her to see that, that she's not just a complete outcast. Very quickly, she starts to believe that God loves her again. And then this worship question comes up. I mean, almost out of left field, it almost seems unnatural in the conversation, but... Uh, this is all in John chapter four, but in verses 20, 
19 to 23, she shifts the question to worship. And she says to Jesus, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Uh, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place to worship um, where people where people ought to worship. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. Uh, Then that whole section goes on to say it ends with. It ends with um, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people. In other words, stop worrying about worship optics and get to the heart of worship. It's not going to matter what physical building you're in. Your view of worship is is what's off kilter. Your view of worship uh, actually may be what got you in this bad place in the first place, and then and then I started finding re- literally everybody in the Bible who kind of who kind of goes off can fall into a worship trap. And how many of the stories were about worship? And how many of the stories were about uh, people caught up in in getting people to look at them or or looking at outward appearance and stuff and putting more weight on that than we do on God? Uh, there's Esther where the entire book of Esther, the whole story was uh, in an inside an optics bubble. The setting for the entire book is a Miss Universe beauty pageant. And uh, the most powerful king on earth is looking for a wife. He doesn't look for the heart. He doesn't look for personality. He's just looking for beauty. And yet Esther teaches him that there's so much more. So that whole book is about you know, what are you going to worship yourself and outward stuff or God like Esther did? Um, you've got Paul, uh, the apostle Paul, who many, you know, say is the, is the, the best Christian or the strongest Christian who ever lived. And, you know, his name was changed to Paul, but when he was Saul, um, he cared about his religious and, and physical pedigree. He cared about his zealousness for the, for God uh, that he was a Pharisee, that he knew the law, that he persecuted Christians, so he was on the right team. Scripture says uh, that he was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. In other words, Saul, before he was transformed by God, all he cared about was optics. All he cared about was, do you really like me? Because I'm more qualified than anybody. Look at my list of qualifications. But as soon as God got a hold of his heart, uh all that changed and he started worshiping, you know, Jesus started worshiping God and, you know, found peace, found fulfillment, found his purpose in life, uh, really became the most dynamic Christian ever, wrote most of the New Testament, all of that simply because his perspective on worship and optics, you know, putting out optics that he, he thought would be favorable, optics that he thought would make people uh, appreciate and like them. And I, that all shifted to, you know, caring more about putting out optics about Jesus Christ and that people knew him. And, and really I began to see that the whole Bible from Genesis to revelation is all about this, you know, the people trying to, you know, from Adam and Eve in the garden being convinced that, you know, worshiping themselves or running the show themselves would be a better idea than worshiping God, that God was holding out on them. 
And honestly, that hasn't changed from then until now. You know, I'm convinced you could look at any any individual or even any group. You could look at the uh, the Jewish people, um, God's chosen people throughout the Old Testament, whose main assignment to be set aside was to teach the world how much God loved them and that they ought to follow and worship him. And yet they never really did good at that. They got caught up as a people, as a whole group, just like any group does. I'm not picking on picking on the Jews, but they got caught up in how good do we look and we're God's chosen people. And, you know, the only place to worship is here. And the only way to worship is how we worship. And, but it was really about, they started carrying the weight of worship themselves and started thinking they were better than others. You know, Christians, it's a real temptation for us to fall into the same thing. Um, honestly, it's a real temptation for any world religion to fall into the same thing. And I think they do fall into that. So, uh, all that to say, you know, why did you write Overliked? I wrote Overliked as the urgency of this problem and the understanding that it was huge and the understanding that social media was only making it worse. And if we don't understand or use it in a godly way, we're going to fall into a trap that can literally ruin your life or it can draw you so far away from God and leading others to God to really a little bubble where your, your whole world is, you know, what do people think about me? How do I get more people to like me? How do I project an image? Um, that's not necessarily the true me, but at least it's an image that I think people will like. Uh, and that way they'll leave me alone and let me live my life. Uh, I realized alarmingly that this problem was huge. And I didn't just want to write a book and say, here's a problem. Um, good luck with that. I mean, I wanted to to write a book that could show us a path back, uh, show us a path to John 10, 10, where Jesus said, you know, I mean, uh, the evil one, he came to kill and to destroy and to rob you of life. The thief he's called in John 10, 10, Satan. But the other half of that verse says, Jesus said, I came that you might have life abundantly and overflowing and and yet I don't see a lot of Christians living that kind of life. And so overliked is really to bring them back to that. You know, it's not to say don't use social media, don't become a monk and live in a cave. Uh, it's none of that. It's saying, you know, you were born for such a time as this. You know, God obviously, you know, he wouldn't have had you born or he wouldn't have any of us alive now if that wasn't his will. So living in the world that we live in, that ship has sailed. It's a social media world. It's a high-tech world. Learn to use it for God. Um, learn to lead people to worship of God and not fall into the traps of worshiping yourself. And um, learn to get on mission. The most important mission in life is not to figure out how to get people to like you. It's to figure out how to get people to follow Jesus Christ. It's to make disciples and it's to do that in a loving way. The great commandment says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. I like to think of it as, as the great commission is, is the what. That's what we should be doing. The great commandment is how we should be doing it, how we should be doing the great commission. We should be doing it not, uh, you know, 
matter of factly or not like a business, but we should be doing it in love. And, and so the whole book just teaches people how to flip the script on worship, you know, and get back to worshiping God and, and uh, um, not fall in the trap of worshiping self. Yeah, that's so, Pastor Rob, thank you so much. I think um, you've given our listeners a lot to think about, you know, and to, I love you um, helping us really understand that all of starting all the way back in the garden uh, with, with the fall of man and when the devil really said, hey, hold up, I want the worship. <laughs> I want, and mm-hmm. the temptation of that for all of us right now is, and I think you even called it the worship trap that each one of us has a propensity to fall into that worship trap and, and point the worship towards ourself. And that question of is, is God's love and approval of you enough, you know? And so I would love for you to, to help our listeners. Can you give us, and I know you go into this in the book. And so I don't, I don't want to give away all of the content from the book. I don't think we would have enough time just because you have a lot of pointers on this, but can you give our listeners just one pointer on if they are realizing today that, wow, I have, I've, I've fallen into the worship trap. I am going to social media. I am maybe even going to my friends or my boss or my children to be worshiped. I'm getting, I have fallen into the worship trap. What is one practical thing that they can do today to help them stop the spin and the spiral of that worship trap? Uh, You know, I think that uh, when we hear, use that phrase back that I said a couple of times, and I think it sounds so extreme (laughs) that people will blow it off. Yeah. Uh, In other words, people will, you'll say, you know, be careful not to fall into the worship trap or self-worship. And I think here's one thing you can do. You know, hear that honestly. Don't hear self-worship and blow it off and go, well, I'm not worshiping myself. I mean, in fact, I'm offended. What a terrible thing to say. Because honestly, self-worship can look so subtle and so small that uh, you're not going to give an honest answer if you don't do an honest evaluation. So the first thing I would say is tell the truth about your worship alignment. And listen, if you need help, if you if you don't want to face that, there's a, I don't even remember how this happened, but uh, on, on at least iPhones or on a lot of Apple products, they've got this new thing. I don't remember signing up for it. It freaks me out a little bit. But at the end of the week, it'll tell me how much time I spent online. It'll tell me how much time I spent uh, with social media and stuff. And it says, hey, you spent an average of eight hours a day this week to give you an example. And then it'll follow it up with that's 25% more time than you spent last week. So listen, if you want to argue this or you just want to believe that you don't have a problem, why don't you get that installed? And it'll tell you if you have a problem. Mm. And if you're spending yeah. eight hours a day online, you have, you have a problem. And now some of you might, and sometimes people might say, well, I, I spend that online, but I'm preaching. <laughs> I spend that online, but I'm worshiping God. Probably not. Probably not <laughs> to the tune of eight hours a day. I don't know that. Right. So the first thing is just be honest with yourself because then you can make a realignment uh, that really 
that'll really work, but you can't realign something. If you're driving down the road, your steering wheel shimmying, your car's pulling to the left and you're saying, I don't have an alignment problem. Okay. Well, I don't know if I can help you. Yeah. Yeah. Pastor Rob, that, that's so good. I love that you brought it all the way back to the beginning because that analogy that you gave about the car is probably out of alignment before, before it starts going crazy down the highway. And I just wrote the words, pay attention. And I think that that is something that we can all do that's so practical and that goes back to, am I, am I in God's word? What is that telling me about what I am doing every day and how I'm living my life? Am I journaling down what I'm going through each day? What things stood out to me? What made me feel burdened today? Where did I notice those feelings of jealousy? And I, I like that if we're able to, like you said, kind of keep touch on how we're doing on a daily and a weekly basis, we will notice those small ways that the enemy is trying to sneak in and steer us away from what we're really supposed to be doing. And that is to give God the glory. And so thank you so much for coming on the show today. This teaching uh, was so helpful. And I just appreciate your honesty and vulnerability because uh, you really just leveled the playing field uh, and give us all permission to just kind of, you know, recognize that, this is something that we all struggle with. As long as we're on this side of eternity, we're always going to struggle with putting the glory back where it belongs. And that's with God. And so friends, if you got a lot out of today's teaching, we know that you're going to want to purchase Pastor Rob's book called Overliked, Finding Direction, Courage, and Meaningful Relationships in a Society Crippled by Social Media. We will link to that in the show notes at proverbs31.org slash listen. Also, we wanted to remind you that our annual She Speaks conference is happening online from June 24th through the 26th this year. We really don't want you to miss it. So hop on over to shespeaksconference.com to get registered. We really want you to join us. And thank you all so much for being with us today. We pray that this episode helped you know the truth and live the truth of God's word because we believe that when you do, it changes everything. 